Welcome to another episode of Brown and Black. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Well, Mike, one of the better interviews we've had this year is with our featured guest today, Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn is the co-creator, executive producer, and co-showrunner of a new CBS show called East New York. What are we looking at, Chief? Attempted carjacking, two fatalities. The new CEO of the 7-4, she happened to be on the scene. How do you do? How did you let him get away? Play the long game to get done what we both want to get done. Attend. My name is Regina Haywood. The double homicide was that of a tourist and a working man. I've been a street cop most of my career, and like you, I've had ideas what should be done better. Now I get to see if some of those ideas might actually work. And, you know, Mike, so many shows about cops pre-Floyd were the thing. And then after Floyd, these cop shows made no sense whatsoever because they were coming from a particular dominant mentality, right? And so a lot of these shows were banned and all of a sudden, Mike, we're starting to see cop shows come back. And I think what makes this interview so interesting with Mike Flynn, showrunner, meaning top dog for a television series, and the fact that he's a black showrunner is 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 the interesting thing because how is it that a black showrunner wants to do a cop show today in, in 2022 exactly a cop not only a cop show but a cop show where it takes place in a brown and black neighborhood with a female lead and a latino co-lead now i don't know if there could be a more perfect show for us to review or watch or have an opinion on. But I also have to say, I think it's pretty ballsy to even want to do a cop show post Floyd. So we asked Mike a lot of questions, including how he feels as a black creator, writer, and showrunner. What is his approach now to white characters? You'll be very interested to hear what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mike Flynn, showrunner for the CBS show East New York. Mike, thank you so much for being on the Brown and Black podcast. Just to give you a quick rundown of who we are, my name is Jack Rico. This is Mike Sargent. (laughs) We're Brown and Black. And so Brown and Black in East New York, I am like, if I had to create a Brown and Black show, a cop (laughs) drama, it's East New York. You nailed this, dude. Uh, So we we want to be able to talk to you about this and begin with the first question. Since 2020, mm-hmm. pre-Floyd, cop shows, number one, ratings everywhere. Post-Floyd, right. take him off TV. We can't watch exactly. it. It's, we're too sensitive about it. And here you come, <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to redo the cop show. <laughs> Disrupting <And> wh- the flow. <laughs> exactly. 
So what made you think that you could modernize the cop show that was vilified just a few years ago Mm. and make an entertaining, appealing, and actually significant for us in society and as viewers? How and why did you want to create East New York? Just to start it off, man, I really didn't know if this would work. And I didn't know that by making an attempt to create and put a cop show on the air that people would watch. And so basically what I did was I thought about the police procedurals and dramas that I used to like watching back in the day. There's NYPD Blue, there's New York Undercover, Southland, and most important, The Wire. I think when you take a look at those shows and what really captivated audiences, what really captivated me as an audience were the characters. It was a character study and a case study and uh, that, that kind of dissected just where our world was at the time when these shows were on. So by doing so, I'm sitting in my house in 2020, just like everyone else, and you're turning on the TV and you, you're seeing the news of all of these uh, cop shootings and these black and brown people dying and people taking to the streets and not really taking a stand for it anymore. So I thought to myself, as an artist, how could I best you know, do my part, whether if it's making a statement to where we're not going to stand by and allow this to happen. But also I wanted to like take a peek at what the black and brown cops and also the white cops, what were they going through at this time? Mm. And looking at it from per- their perspectives and, it, and and really understanding if there were any cops who were really taken to action or who were really affected by what was they were also seeing in the country. And my partner Billy Finkelstein and I—he's a, a veteran of of these uh, of these these dramas, NYPD Blue. Uh, you know, he's, he's done LA Law. You know, he has an extensive resume. And uh, the studio—they partnered us together because we both had something to say. We both wanted to make a cop show for 2022, and they thought that we would be the perfect marriage. And you know, lo and behold, we put our minds together, and East New York was born out of it. How's your head? It's fabulous, stupendous. Doesn't have to be, you know. Police, put the gun down. It does. It's the city so nice. They name. My the name boy. is Regina Haywood. I've been a street cop most of my career. You want to work in this neighborhood? I love this neighborhood. I also want members to start living in East New York. I'll do it. I'm gonna have to go into that project to save you. The day I need you to save me is the day I put my papers in. I irritate people. Nonetheless, have you made any determinations to your executive officer? You're on. Really? I worry about people because that's what I do. Now, I don't want you not calling for backup because that's what you do. All together, we are going to find the killer. I'm right there with you, Regina. Wanna ask me, how's my head? You gotta love this city. My dad lived in East New York, there and in Brownsville. Just knowing that a little bit about that, I was just, I felt like it was a area and city and a community that was untapped and who whose image wasn't positively portrayed in the media as of late. So I thought that might've been an interesting opportunity to explore that, what that meant and see where it took us. I'll tell you, I love what you said also here and what Jack alluded to and what you said about how these shows were all based on character. But I feel like in this story, East New York is a character. Mm-hmm. And all the characters are affected by the fact that they're there, whether they want to be there or not. And so tell me a little bit about that, because I know you you were born in Brooklyn, but you grew up Mm -hmm. in Atlanta. You went to school in San Diego. So 
What yeah. brought you back to East New York and what made you decide that's a good nexus? Well, you know, there's also these communities that are really affected by gentrification. And we've seen Brooklyn, how it's been turned out and moved in and lived and just lost a little bit of its luster that, that it once had that really stood out and made it different from New York. East New York is still, I think it still holds that, that grounded sense of, of awareness and community and personality that kind of gives you that, that old school Brooklyn. You know, it's, as far as the gentrification is starting to trickle down a little bit further, east you go, you have Williamsburg, is the, that's been touched. You have Bushwick, that's been starting to see changes. And I think it hasn't reached East New York, so to speak, I don't think yet, there's still a sense of pride in that community. It still holds its own like personal character. You just have a, a richness of different cultures that live there. And you have honest, you know, hardworking people that live there. And oftentimes in recent years, they've been portrayed as an area of high crime. This is what people think when they hear East New York, and they hear violence, they think drugs, and it's not all about that. Essentially, when you're doing a cop show, you have cops don't go around saving kittens from trees. So they have to, <laughs> you know, they have to do their jobs. They're police officers and they, they react to crimes that happen. And so these are the kind of stories that we're going to tell. But oftentimes in media, you know, we only get that surface level of the crime or of the criminal or the victim, and we never go beyond that. So I think by setting it in East New York, it gives you that old school flavor of what East New York or what New York used to stand for. And I think by if we do our jobs right, we'll, we'll give you that that flavor week in and week out. Mike, you are mm -hmm. the co-creator, the co-executive producer, and the showrunner meaning mm -hmm. the buck stops with you. What does the writer's room look like for a show like this in 2022? We have men and women, black, white voices. We have people from different economical backgrounds, from different regions of, of the country. We have some people who are from New York and lived in New York and, and Brooklyn. It's well-rounded in that sense. We have people who have a wealth of experience to writers who, you know, who or a writer who is her first drama show, writing for network drama or for TV for that matter. But she's also lived in New York and in Brooklyn for years. So we get a, we could just touch upon each and every cultural class as we could and bring these voices together. We have people who've worked on procedurals. We have people who worked on serial dramas or, or network or like cable based dramas. I myself, I haven't worked in network television before Big Sky last year. It's been a 10 year gap and mm. I have my held my space in <clears throat> in a cable and in premium cable space. Just coming back to it with that perspective and joining voices who are who we hired in our room, I think it, it, it lends itself to get a different and wide spectrum of the storytelling. You get different cultural perspectives and I think that's what will hopefully make up a, a playground for for wonderful storytelling. I like that you said perspective you know? because one of the things that really stands out to me, of course is not only is this a series where the leads are people of color, but it's a woman who's in charge. Okay, you're mm -hmm. a man, you're a man. And you created yes, this woman yeah. who's in charge. And there are, a lot <laughs> of nuance, <laughs> there are a lot of nuances that you get, I think, that are there. You touched upon your journey, but mm -hmm. what made you decide that this was the way to go? Because you have not just a woman in charge, but you have some very interesting female characters, Black, white, Latino. I, I, I love that. I'm just wondering, what was that like in the shower? Like, how did this come up? <laughs> what made you decide to do this? Uh, you know, man, it's, it's come from a, a lot of different places. The last couple of shows I've worked on have been created by Black women. You have the Power franchise, you have Queen Sugar, uh, you have The Shy. And just by working with these powerhouses and getting that perspective, you know, there there is some 
some weight to, to be held and something to be said about how does a Black woman thrive in a space that has been dominated by predominantly white men? And specifically, the New York Police Department. Historically, those high-ranking places have been filled with white Irish men. So I wanted to see what I can drop in the water and have the biggest splash uh, in terms of reaction from audiences and all, all, as well as reaction from characters within the show. And in New York City, it currently has a Black woman who is a police commissioner. Not that I drew inspiration from that because this was made before, well before that was even that she got appointed. But just by growing up and having Black women in my family, being raised by Black mothers and grandmothers and sisters and cousins and aunts, I drew on their uh, experiences and what it meant for them to move through the world as a Black woman, move through this country as a Black woman. And for, uh, as they say, Black women save the world. Our country is divided and there's a, a wider gap between the community and the police. And I think by getting perspective of a Black woman to really come in and, and really own that and know what she's up against, but at the same time, drawing on her own personal experiences and her own personal strength to see how she could pull it all together. So that was the inspiration behind all of that. And I just pray that we continue to do the best job that we can and make sure it's coming off correctly and authentic. Well, congratulations on so many aspects of the show. The casting is just Phenomenal. It's just just great. The performances are wonderful. And you're touching on some really interesting topics here. Some of the themes that I thought just in the pilot alone was the discussions of cop diversity hires mm-hmm. and how people or how white people react to those diversity hires, much like affirmative action is happening right now in the Supreme Court justice. Yeah, Should people just walk right in? Or do they have to pass a lot of qualifications to get it? And so what are some of the key differentiations you wanted to accomplish in the show versus 2000 and before? You know, you want to open up to who were in positions of leadership roles back then and how they necessarily gotten there based off of whatever initiative that was in place, which was also matched by merit. But I think there was a there's a sense where, you know, where we find ourselves in 2022, that people who, who've risen to this level of uh, leadership, that firm of action and diversity is almost like, it's almost like a thought of the past, but it's still folded into the fabric of our society. But it's not necessarily a main tool in which people use to rise up. I think people are able to express their, themselves as thought provokers and uh, agents of change, but they can also use that on top of what they've done by working their way up the chain of ladders. This is something that happens in Hollywood a lot. We have these diversity initiatives, especially I can just boil down to the writer's room. Historically, people of color haven't been the the majority makeup of television writer's rooms. And so, you know, what you saw like in the early 2000s was this this movement of diversity hires, but that also over the course of time, it, it became a stigma because people looked at us as, oh, you're only here because you're, you're smooching or you're Hispanic. Yeah. Exactly. So- it's, I think it's something that, that we wanted to like really touch on as that school of thought still through, through certain people. And there's also people who can debunk that myth. And so by, by using a Regina Haywood character to get that appointment, uh, she's worked her way up. It's not easy being a deputy inspector. You have to climb so many ladders. You have to hit so many ranks. And for her to get to that point and choose East New York as a, a community to go and lead, I think that speaks a lot about who she is and, and what she wants to get done. So that was like the general notion of doing that between these two different eras. But I think that we managed to give it, give it a, a good balance at the end of the day. 
Well, I think you absolutely do. And a couple of things that, that again, stand out to me because you mentioned perspective, but it's also, as you were mentioning, perception. And that's a lot of what I think happens. Your perception is based on your perspective. And without giving too much away, she encounters detectives who have a perspective on how they need to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Her perception is different. That, that, and that's the essence of conflict, really. But I'm also curious, you mentioned diversity and you're, you're tackling a lot in this, mm-hmm. even in that, like mm-hmm. Jack said, in that pilot first two episodes, gender, race, brown and black, cops who are like tempted to do things because they're not really paid enough, all these things. And then behind the scenes, I just happen to know that your DP, I'm friends with your DP, Gender Jarnigan, who's great. Oh, yes, Gender, yes. And, yeah, yes. She's great. And so you got a female DP. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's ever been done for a cop show. Like Jack said, there are a lot of things you wanted to do. You were inspired clearly by old cop shows, but the notion of a cop show is almost out. We're in that, there was an article you were part of about, we're in the defund the police era where mm-hmm. shows like Brooklyn 999, Cuddly Cops, that's not really going to fly. So I'm just <laughs> curious for you, because you never know, it could last one season or it could last 10. So what Absolutely. were some of the things that you felt like you had to face head on? Because there are a lot there, but I'm just curious, were there any that you just hadn't seen because cop shows, almost like Westerns, is a genre. It's a mm-hmm. lot of fantasy based on reality. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious, what things you felt you had to tackle or will we be seeing you tackle this season? I think that for cop shows of the past, we've seen where they dive into the not just the detectives or the patrol cops, but also who are the cops that are leading these cops. And we really wanted to really dive into the bureaucracy of what cops like Regina Haywood in her role have to just, it's that balance of doing the job right versus the balance of caring about the people who you serve. And I also want to see, we want to see, which we will see, how the things that people do in the community that in the eyes of law enforcement are are treated as these are law breaking citizens. But at the same time, is it like, do cops really care about taking people aside and really turn them from steering down the path in which they don't necessarily have to go. There's oftentimes you have young black men who, who are being misled, but they don't really have people to really pull them aside and really show them that they don't have to go down this route. We're going to see Regina Haywood really step in and really have her hand in, into the community and really try to make a difference, really try to reach people, make them aware that they don't have to necessarily do the things that are culturally or accepted by society as a way of getting retribution for something that happened to them, going down a path in which they didn't necessarily have to fall uh, down. So I think we'll see Regina trying to bridge the gap between the community and the police. And it's not a, it's, it's, it's a very arduous task and it's not easy because you have a lot of people to please on both sides. You have the community and you have your higher ups. And so I think that by using a character like Regina, I think we will get a chance to see how a cop balances, but also how she struggles and how she rebounds from that. And I think there's a lot of drama and conflict that comes within that. That'll make for good television at the end of the day. Mike, as we're seeing the rise of the black lead actor or actress Mm -hmm. and the black showrunner, we're starting to see white characters no longer placed in positions of power. So Mm -hmm. as a black showrunner, how are you approaching white characters in the writer's room? That is a good question. There's a character on our show, Detective Tommy Killian. He's a guy of a certain age, but I think he holds a certain frame of mind in terms of like how policing used to get done versus how it's getting done now. 
And he's of the mind of having to having a little bit of trepidation on tiptoeing about how to go about his job because he feels that policing are faced under a tiny microscope now more than ever. And as far as like white characters, we have he is, we have characters like that who give you that perspective of who's on the other end of the spectrum versus a young white female character, Officer Brandy Quinlan. She's of the, a different ilk. She comes from a different uh, socioeconomical background and she has different reasons for joining the police force. And we see her step up in a pilot and volunteer herself to go live into the community project, the community housing or public housing and that Regina Haywood had provided for the police. So I think that there's a, just by breaking it down as characters, but these characters happen to be white. I think there's a, there's an interesting way to uh, really dissect on what that means and how do we differentiate between these two different characters. And I think that there's a way of doing it delicately, but also mm. leaving it open for the audience to interpret in, in terms of guessing why or how this character made this or arrived at this certain particular decision. Again, I love that's actually one of my favorite characters because I, I find oh, that yeah. character very, well, very interesting. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I like the fact that often when you could zig, you zag. So yeah. I enjoy that too. And I'm also curious now for you, what kind of reception, like when you pitch this, like what was your pitch here? And this is in the last two years with all, like Jack said, we're in a time of change. It's not like you said, you weren't sure if it worked. I, I can't imagine network going saying, yeah, that's a hit. So right. I'm just curious how <laughs> you, <laughs> what was your pitch and what do you feel, what was the heart of this for you that yeah. you were able to get people to go, oh, okay. We've had great support from our studio and the network, which was Warner Brothers and CBS, respectively. Basically, we kind of went into the pitch where this posed a question, what does a cop show look like in 2022 on television? And we, uh, we, we laid in the fact of it's an ensemble piece, and it's being centered around this character, Regina Haywood, who is traditionally not the prototype for this job that she's taken on, that she's been appointed to. And so by building around that, she's going to come into a precinct faced with a diverse group of cops and detectives. And all of, not all of the cops are going to openly and warmly receive her. There's going to be some cops who look at her and think that she's only here for one particular reason. You're going to have other cops who's, uh, we have Marvin Sandiford, who doesn't necessarily see her as a, as a, as a equally yoked mind of policing. He's an old school cop. He's, he doesn't, He's one of the few who didn't aspire to rise the rank, so to speak. He always wanted to have his foot in the community, on the ground as a patrolman. That's what he felt that he could do his bet, his job best. And it was just basically building out these, these core group of characters and what they meant to the community, what the community means to them. Building, as you said earlier, East New York as a character as well. It's something that we haven't seen on television, specifically network television. So I think that that was something that our buyers really bought into. And the more that we were opening up this world with these characters, the more they got excited about it. And uh, luckily, they now they bought it. And it was a, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a long journey, but I think it's one that's been worth going down and telling because as we originally pitched this, and I believe it was, I want to say 2019, but I think it's evolved, man. It's evolved over the course of these uh, last three years and for it to get to this point, I think it's, it was just a lightning in bottle, man, so to speak. And if we, I think the jury's still out of with whether we succeeded in terms of keeping our audience week to week, but I feel pretty good of how we've come out the gate so far. So hopefully we'll continue to build and keep our audience and keep making more of this stuff. What is it about cop shows that people like so much? I think what people really love about cop shows is seeing 
the good guys catch the bad guys. And following the mystery, getting a sense of, oh, I knew that was going to happen or that they're able to follow along with the mystery and the crime. But also, I think they also take away the elements of surprise or the twist that, you, that we throw at them and the things that they didn't see coming. Also, it's, I think you get a sense of gratification of watching something, watching somebody else on TV mess up their lives and you're be able to sit comfortably in your own life and say, I'm not going to go down that route, but that was interesting to watch. I think there's just this notion of being a viewer, a, a, a voyeuristic element that kind of lives with watching other shitstorm happening that you're not really have to be a part of. You know, I think anybody, everybody loves a good detective mystery at the end of the day, a good mystery, so to speak. And I think that's why they keep making cop shows and why they'll probably still continue to make cop shows all the way from Dragnet in the 50s. We're still here turning them out. And then every genre, comedy, drama. Yeah. Well, now let me ask you another question. Doing a show like this, and for you, you've worked on other people's shows. You know, you've mm -hmm. produced. So there's a two-part question. You've produced and you've written. What do you get out of producing that maybe you don't get out of just writing and watching other people do it? What do you get out of writing? And then now combining because you both created it and you're producing it that's the showrunner so what is this for you now at this point in your journey and how does this feel oh man you know well, to answer your first question as far as producing you know you're given the capability of handing it off to other storytellers who you have on your crew you're able to get the script and deliver it to the costume designer you deliver it to the cinematographer to the props to the location and they come back with you and this is where they give you kind of elements that you didn't necessarily expect you know you give it out to casting they give you these actors and these actresses and they, they continue to blow my mind that's the part i love is the people coming back but this is a collaborative medium and people adding elements that you didn't see before that makes the story that much 10 times better that's what I love about the producing part of handing it off and seeing what people come back to me and as we continue to make episode by episode it continue to build like what editorial does. It's the music department, a lot of different elements that come together in this. And as far as going from working on other shows to now being the co-show runner of it all, it's just, there's a level of responsibility that comes with Not to say that I didn't put 100% when I worked on other people's shows. You're up at night because this is now, you're leading the ship. Now 150, <laughs> yeah. not 150. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When the ship goes down, you go down with it and you take it on the chin. Um, it's a, it's a different ball game, but at the same time, you get to raise it, lift it up on its feet at the end of the day and seeing what you, and step back and see the creation that you led the way in getting made. And it's a, a feeling that I really can't describe other than that. It's just like taking a, a, a lump of clay and continuing to mold it in the vision in which you wanted to see it. And you know, it may not be finished when you step back and go to sleep at night, but you can wake up the next day, continue to chip away at it and continue to mold it. And, and have other people come in with their chisels and their fingers and like really help you shape it to where you need it to go. So that's been a, a beautiful thing seeing happen and unfold. And I've always looked at my other showrunners and I've seen them lose sleep over a story point that we haven't cracked. And now I'm the one losing sleep <laughs> over not cracking the story point. But you, we have a great group of writers who, who come to the table ready to work every day and they give... 155 and i'm extremely blessed to have them on board yeah we we really you know are in this thing together mike i was thinking about east new york and the tone of it we're talking about network so clearly you're constrained this is an hbo and it's not rated r but i right. was wondering 
about that? Did that ever? Did you at ever any moment think about bringing the show and making it rated R? To the same way mm. Spielberg said, "Hey, listen, <laughs> this is what war looks like in Saving Private Ryan. We're just trying to depict something real." <laughs> did you want right. to not share in that? Did you not want to put your head in that? rated R dark world and pitch that show. Why come to broadcast network? I mean, look, you still managed to hit some gut punches. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about just some really strong dialogue. Like when Brenda Sykes, the white real estate agent is being interviewed and she says, Africans, they don't always distinguish what's a dream and what's real. And I thought that was, Whoa, Mike, you're going there. (laughs) Or how's about men are scared by powerful women, especially a strong black woman. What did he, this black man, want to say to a black woman about that as well? And so you're going there. How much did you have to restrain yourself? And how much are they allowing you to be real? Yeah, exactly. Are you pushing the envelope? Are you going to tear up the envelope? What are you going to do? We push the envelope as far as we can and then broadcast standard and practices, they say. Here's Ah. another envelope. Use this envelope because we can't can't say that on television. There's a notion that we are on television and a network that's made its bones on when selling products to an audience and we have to deliver as, as respectfully as possible within the FCC guidelines, of course. But I think there is your instinct, my instinct coming from being in, in cable for so long, it was like, yes, we should, let's test this and see where we can take this as far as being what the premium outlets that we have available. There's a lot of premium cable outlets that don't want to do cop shows. They just, that's mm. not our bread and butter. Why should this be on our channel when it could be on broadcast? And then on the flip side of that, you have a lot more eyeballs still on broadcast, man. This country is very large and there's a lot of viewers who still watch broadcasts and they go to these networks to to find those shows that, that keep them coming back year after year, season after season. And there, we definitely wanted to push the envelope as far as we could. We're a nine o'clock show. And so we're given a little bit more leeway than we would if we were, you know, say seven o'clock or eight o'clock PM show. There's just those little minute differences. People put their kids to bed at nine o'clock and they turn on the TV and watch television. Mm-hmm. And we're able to, I think NYPD, back in NYPD Blue back in the day, they were really racy and they got away with a lot of stuff from, I was like, wow, this is this was on ABC back in the day. Like, how did they even get away with it? We take that into consideration. It's just, we push as far as we can go. And then until the network says we can't push that far. Yeah. Why push? Why is that a creative decision on your part? I think it's. I think that's a creative decision to push, man. You want to provoke the audiences. I think you want to really elicit certain reactions that haven't really been touched upon. And so by putting a, a cop who thinks his boss got hired because of diversity, there's some. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack on what he's thinking. There's a lot to have his partner, who's a Latina to push back and really smack them and keep them grounded and keep them in line. And I think it's, there's a lot of pull and push and heat, hot and cold factors that we can really build our world in and play with. And that'll give us the best story and conflict that we can imagine. All right. My last question for you is considering where you are and what you've done with your career and what I would consider to be a relatively short amount of time, especially, and for our listeners, we have a brown and black audience and mm-hmm. we actually, we do things where we talk to Round of black folks. So what would yeah. you say was your formula for success? What advice do you give to mm. up and come brown and black creatives, storytellers? What advice do you give and when did you first know you wanted to be a storyteller? Man, I would say stick true to 
what you feel is most authentic to yourself. Use your, your experiences, your background, how you came up, the people you crossed in your life, and tell the story that you want to see on tel- television. That was my kind of way of keeping me going throughout the years, man. I, I also felt like I couldn't really do anything else in my life successfully. I haven't really attempted other than playing football in high school and that I knew I wasn't going pro. So I was like, what else can I do? And I really fell in love with storytelling. As a kid, man, I would write short stories because I was bored. And that was a way to escape. And it was a way to get my imagination down on paper. I never thought it could lead to an actual career or pursuing a profession. But uh, you have to really, I think for anybody out there listening, just stay true to yourself. Persevere, man. Don't don't, don't buckle in the face of adversity. People, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be telling you no who going to tell you you're not good enough, you can't do this. I, I just, I don't know, man, maybe I just had a slight sense of arrogance to believe in myself to know that I could really do this. And that somebody's got to make it, so it might as well be you. That was a model that I kept and just kept the way at it, man. And I've been, I got my first professional credit back in, I guess, 2009, man. So I've just been, there's been a lot of years that have been valleys more than peaks, I should mm. say. You really just have to weather the storm. And this is something that you really want. You really have to just give it your all because you're only given one life, man. And when you're standing in front of your creator and you have to explain what you've done with the life you were given, man, you better have a good explanation that you gave it your all and you left everything on the table. My last question is, there was a scene at the end with Amanda uh-huh. Warren and Jimmy Smith. Uh-huh. And now you have to understand that maybe a white person sees that scene one way, but I see it mm-hmm. as brown and black love. I see it as brown mm-hmm. and black unity. In your stories, how do you create brown and black unity through art? Wow, that's a great question. I think we find a common ground in our struggles and we find a common ground in our aspirations. And so I think that there's a nice subtlety. You can do it in subtlety where people, two people like Jimmy Smith and Amanda Warren's characters who have a common goal, which is to be the best police officers that they can be. But at the same time, I think they have a responsibility to uphold the community in high, in, in high regard. And I, I'm still figuring that, that question out. That's a pretty profound question, but I think it's worth exploring through art where there there can be some unity. There can be a, a space where, you know, for both cultures, cultures to exist. It, I think it's just, it's more so of finding what they both love and tackling that together. And out of that, you're going to hit the struggles at the same time. You're going to have successes at the same time. That's the the best way that I can probably answer that. I, that's something I'm probably will continue to try to answer when we get off of this uh Mike Flynn, thank you so much for being on the Brown and Black podcast. Congratulations. Applause, man. Thank you, man. Thank you all, man. Really good show. We wish you much success and hopefully a renewal coming soon because we'd love to see more of this in the way you are tackling it. Yeah, well, we want to have you come back when you do the 10th season. (laughs) You know, know, as long as you guys will have me, thank you all for having this platform and really having voices come on and to to get the word out and to share their creative process and successes and all that love, man. This is applaud you guys as well. So thank you. That's it for this episode of Brown and Black. We'd like to thank Mike Flynn for being on the show. And if you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people.
This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and now on YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Thank you.